cats. Like, oh, I, I, I got this awesome sample. I went to my grandma's house and I got the sound that her chair makes when she sits in it. And I'm just going to loop that <laughs> again and again and again. Scream. For the entirety of this song. Hello, 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 and welcome to yet another week of 1001 Album Complaints. This is the podcast where lifelong friends and musicians and music critics go through albums from Robert Dimery's list of 1001 albums you must hear before you die, give our very thoughtful critiques, do some deep dives, and eventually vote on whether or not it really belongs on the list and you must hear it before you die. Very excited to have you with us this week. We are talking about an album that was a little bit of a sleeper for me. It was not something that I was familiar with before, but uh, it is the 1991 album by the band Gangstar, Step in the Arena. So we've been listening to that all week. I hope you've been listening to it too. If not, that's not a problem. We're going to give you enough information to know whether or not it's worth your time to go out and listen to it. So before we jump in and start listening to the music... Just a reminder, if you happen to like what we're doing and you want to give us a review, that'd be awesome. If you want to tell a friend, that'd be even better. We always want to get the message out there that there's some great art, there's some terrible art, and we have complaints about both of them. So, <laughs> And some stuff in the middle. And some there's also a lot of stuff in the middle. <laughs> Plenty yeah. of stuff in the middle. Right in the creamy, creamy middle. I want to talk a little bit about the background on the artists and give you a little bit of a, a, a deep dive on what the context was around this album. But before we do that, we're going to play just a little snippet of the title track off of this album, Step in the Arena. So without further ado... This is what we've been listening to all week. Once you step in the arena, cheetah, you're gonna be amazed when you gaze at the armor on this leader, fully clad and glad to fight a cause I won't pause. Fear is a joke, slow poke. I'm like claws that'll rip, cause your gift is merely flesh, superficial, and I wish you would give it a rest. But if you don't, I'll unsheath my Excalibur like a noble knight. So meet your challenger, a true hero, while you're a true zero. Getting beat to a pulp so that you can't run for help. I heard a gulp in your throat, cause you hope that I'll be merciful. But who put the maiden strut as I rehearse a few battle drills and watch a bladder spill? Yellow fluid, check how I mellowly do it. Face defeat to this beat, you can tell I'm into it. As I'm pulling out my lands to kill you and advance to the winner's throne. Cause I own you once you step in the arena. Okay, all right. So we're now going to do the introduction of our cast of characters uh, via a quick tweet-length review of the album. So first, I'm going to throw it over to Adam. Hey, this is Adam. This was a completely new listen for me. I had heard of Gangstar from a, a, a drummer friend in high school. I remember him talking about them. He was a big fan. It was a fun listen. Uh, but my quick tweet-length review is that this album is occasionally corny, often formulaic, and sometimes badass. However, Guru's Star Trek reference and his use of the word protozoa may just be a free pass on a yes vote for me. <laughs> All right. Succinctly put. Rob, let's hear your tweet length review here. Hey, this is Rob here. And I wrote, 
If you love cute AF hip hop disses like Slowpoke, this might be the record. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> it- <laughs> I just found it funny that you also mentioned a word he used right away. I noticed his vocabulary right away. It, it pops out. I said that jazz plus hip hop is basically always a solid foundation on which to build a sound, but monotony sets in real quick. Oh, yeah, that's actually uh, very similar to my tweet length review, which is gang stars step in the arena. Jazz meets hip hop meets Valium. (laughs) 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 This was a little bit of a samey album in my opinion it it got a little bit by the end of it i was definitely like what song am i on again okay i guess let's let me check the track list here it's never a good sign if there are bangers on an album you're usually like oh yeah i know where the bangers are and this one felt a little devoid of bangers to me well there's 18 songs on here and it runs 50 minutes which Again, I know we don't like to talk about length equals bad, right? But this this one definitely wore mm. on me. Well, it's about Einstein's okay. relativity here, Adam. Yeah. This is this album felt three hours long, and I had to keep yes, checking. I will agree with that. Yeah. Checking the factual information, not just my perceived time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, the I would twin say twin paradox of Gangstar. <laughs> Yes, I believe Einstein did reference that specifically. (laughs) (laughs) Gangstar's rhymes and the length of this album. Well, everybody knows there's like, you know, you got the white dwarfs, you got the the, the red giants, and you got the gangstars, of course. So, you know, Adam, I want to get back to your comment about length equals bad. I would say I am not in the camp of length equals bad. I will definitely say I am in the camp of length equals justification needed. And so ah, justify yeah. to yep. me why I need to spend an hour of time listening to your album and not 35 minutes of time listening to your album. Mm-hmm. But let's let's talk a little bit about Gangstar and where they came from. So Gangstar on this album is a, a two-man production. We have DJ Premier and we have Guru. Interestingly, uh, Guru, uh, who was Keith Edward Elam, was actually the son of of the first, what was it, the first circuit court judge in Boston, the first black circuit court judge in Boston, a municipal court judge really? in Boston, sorry. Yeah. So wow. he right. did not have the hard scrabble upbringing. I mean, mm-hmm. listen, he was a black guy in Boston and he was born in 1961. He experienced a ton of racism, I am sure, but he wasn't living in, you know, the projects. He wasn't, uh, you know, struggling for money growing up. Went to Morehouse College which is a, a fantastic historically black university in uh, Atlanta. And that is actually where Gangstar in its original incarnation got its start. Originally, it was Guru, a guy named Big Shug, and then DJ Suave D, who was actually Big Shug's younger brother. And they kind of all sort of formed when they were all at Morehouse together, got this project called Gangstar up and running. Apparently, Guru wanted to call it Gangster. And... DJ Big Show goes like, you, you know, let's soften that up a little bit. And so they came up with the name Gang Star. And basically, DJ Shug ended up going to prison. And so, uh, sorry, Big Show went to prison. And then his brother, DJ Swab D, left the group. After that, Guru was like, I want to keep this thing going. He ended up getting a bunch of DJs, a bunch of different people working with him and released a couple of singles in like 1987, 1988. 
didn't really go anywhere. And so the band essentially broke up again at that point, split up. And Guru decided he wanted to keep going with this project, wanted to continue on making music. He at one point was like uh, he got a degree from Morehouse in business administration and then was going for like a fashion design degree to sort of be a, a fashion designer business owner. But when he discovered that he wanted to do music, he basically said, that's that's the route I want to go. I'm, I'm going to stop doing that. And I really want to focus on music. So at this point, enter DJ Premier who was a Texas-based DJ at the time when they first met up. He was called... His uh, Texas-based DJ is just a funny term to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if, if in Texas in like the mid-80s, what was the hip-hop there scene a lot like of there? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now there's like a lot of like Southern country rap going on, but uh, right. now, like, you know, back then it seems like that was probably... He's showing up at, uh, you know, places where, like, line dances going on and stuff like that. (laughs) Right. It was still kind of underground in New York City at this point. So imagine what it was like in Houston. Super, super. Yeah, right. (laughs) But, you know, DJ Premier uh, was basically connected with Guru, and Guru said, move to Brooklyn with me, and we're going to get this project going. And so they ended up moving to Brooklyn together. And they released a um, they released an album that was pretty well received. It was released in it was called No More Mister Nice Guy, released in 1989, and that ended up scoring them a record contract with uh, Chrysalis Records. It was is there uh, a British uh, record label been around since the 60s? And I, so this is like one of my favorite. Uh, random tidbits to dig up is that they like Chrysalis Records was started by one of the managers of Jethro Tull. No, and he said that the reason Chrysalis Chrysalis Records got started because Jethro Tull couldn't get a record deal and MGM couldn't even get their name right on the record because apparently (laughs) on the first Jethro Tull single that was released, they were credited by MGM as Jethro Toe, which I think is amazing. Wow. Wait, they printed it. Yes. They actually printed albums. They printed out the Jethro Toe on it. <laughs> this is, that's what's funny, too, about that is that, that was a, Jethro Tull is a historical figure, right? You could have theoretically looked him up in Encyclopedia Britannica or something. <laughs> yes, <maybe>. exactly. <laughs> the, yeah, basically what you're saying is that like somebody had like a muddled conversation at a bar over drinks. They're like, what's the name of the band? Jethro <laughs> <laughs> Screaming over. <laughs> oh, okay. It's Jethro a Toe, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Jethro's Toe. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh DJ Premier, by the way, who I will say I think is kind of the standout on this album. I thought the production level of the songs was pretty good. You can tell it's of an era, but he did a pretty good job um, of trying to put a soundscape together. Uh, Also credited with doing a lot of really jazz-oriented hip-hop after this. He did an album called Jazzmataz with, uh, who was he? Uh, Wynton Marsalis's brother. It was like Branton huh, Marsalis or something like that. Branford Brand, Marsalis, yeah. yeah. Um, and so really got into that whole, we talked about this on the Tribe Called Quest podcast where it's that sort of really jazz-inflected kind of crate diving style. He got really into it and he said, actually the way to do it is to get live jazz musicians to play with you on your record. And I think hmm. that that's, a really, that's really cool. That's like yeah, organic that's cool. hip-hop, you know? Well, 
I mean, we came in kind of hot on this, and I'm I'm not in love with the record for sure, but I agree that I could tell right away that the DJ has a lot of chops. Like, there's definitely a lot of talent on display here, and I I do appreciate that. No, there certainly is, I would say, a lot of DJ talent on display and a lot of lyrical talent on display. I will give this to Guru. You can tell he is incredibly educated. His vocabulary is elevated at a level that I don't think was very common in hip-hop at the time. And it is a a style that we, we've mentioned it before. I think it takes itself maybe a little too seriously, but it is not that sort of playground style like, uh, oh, hello, I hope you like my rap song type yeah, of rapping. Sure. Um, <clears throat> which is pretty common at the time. His uh, uh, guru's cadence is very much he bleeds over into the next line. Which, which I noticed a lot, where he'll end a line on a word. And oftentimes it could either be the end of that sentence or a continuation. And it's not until he starts into the next line that you realize it is a continuation. So it's very cool. And I'm not sure if that was being done a whole lot. Like you said, Tom, potentially at the time it was a lot of that, you know. Yeah, get to the yeah. like, say a line and wait for the one. And then right. you say a line and wait for the one again. Right. And then you're right. like, no, intraline rhyming also is pretty prevalent in his style where he well, and we'll talk about some specific lines through there where there's like three rhymes within the line. And that is a, that is an elevated level of, of wordsmanship. So that's what I'm hoping you can do, or we can talk about kind of right away is where does this fit in the hip hop timeline? Because I couldn't help, but immediately since I'm not a hip hop aficionado, start relating it and comparing it and contrasting it to other things that I know about from this time period. And one of the comparisons that, does not lie favorably on it, it was already mentioned, is A Tribe Called Quest. I think this was probably being recorded around the same time as the first Tribe album. It seems like they were maybe released in the same year. I'm just, I'm kind of guessing. But uh, the first Tribe album came out, I believe, in 89. And so this was 91, which was, you can tell they were definitely influenced by Tribe. And I'm not going to say that they got their sound from Tribe, but if you were... Again, a guy like DJ Premier, who's in Texas and is very much into this style of music, there's no way that he's living in Brooklyn and not aware of what a Tribe Called Quest is doing and not like right. thinking that this is the cool new sound. But but I also kind of meant that it gave it gave me an unfavorable uh, opinion of Gangstar because I like the Tribe stuff better. They're using some of the same ingredients, but because. Listen, this I'll just throw out un- unfair comparison number one. The fact that Tribe is, in fact, a tribe of people that breaks up the monotony. And another touchstone might be Wu-Tang, who I know came after this, where I've gotten... Maybe it's just because I've gotten so used as a hip-hop listener to hearing multiple people interject and have their own flows and have their own sort of takes on doing verses that listening to Guru track after tra- verse after verse, track after track is a big part of what, what made it monotonous. I think if I heard one of these songs on a radio station, I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Who's this? Like, my ears would perk up for sure. Well, I would say I, I think a lot of that is, for better or worse, intentional. Guru's style is monotonous, purposefully so. And I made this this sort of mental connection in my head that when – old fuddy-duddies back in the day were like, oh, that hip-hop is just talking. This is what they were thinking about. Because you listen to somebody like an Ice Cube, you listen to somebody like, who is also going to be mentioned later, um, like Gift of Gab from Black Alicious, when they rap, 
they're kind of doing a whole lot of ups and downs and like it's sort of singing but not but there is a melodic element to it and there is a there's no melodic element to guru at all that's that's interesting you, you pointed that out because i couldn't really put my finger on why this did start to feel monotonous but i think yeah you're you're calling out something pretty obvious there that i missed yeah if you had and again if you had somebody else to break it up again somebody else who's going to get mentioned later is cypress hill you know the other cypress hill rapper besides uh be real is not good he's not a good rapper at all objectively he's bad <laughs> but it works as a counterpoint you know like right, if he was doing his own up, thing yeah. you wouldn't listen to it it'd be garbage but Right. What do you? But what is his role in Cypress Hill called? Because he doesn't. He's not the hype man exactly, but he just echoes everything that Be Real says. Right. <laughs> no, he has his own. He has his own verses. He actually has one of my favorite like little Cypress Hill interjections where he tells all the people. Uh, he basically name checks a bunch of people that can eat a bowl of dick up. <laughs> really appreciate. <laughs> they can eat a bowl of dick up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right sweet gig i mean it's not a bad gig so yeah. anyway they, they get signed to chrysalis records and they were given complete creative control do what you want we trust you make an album this we can tell that hip-hop is going to be a big thing and i can't imagine that the guys from chrysalis records were not also not aware of a tribe called quest and how amazingly successful and popular they were becoming and said hey like we got to jump on this train too Gangstar never really achieved the level of commercial success that uh, that A Tribe Called Quest did, but what they are renowned as is those influencers, the tastemakers. It's, it's the thing with, like we talked about, with the Velvet Underground and the Smiths. It's like, you may not have liked them, but your favorite bands like them. I think that they were, influent they were influential in the creation of the hardcore hip-hop sound, so... You know, like Wu-Tang, again, in Staten Island, there's no way that they were not aware of what was going on in Brooklyn. It's not like the RZA wasn't aware of Gangstar and wasn't influenced by that sort of crate-diving, lo-fi sound. They just took it in a different direction. And So you're saying they listened to John Cale's out-of-tune stabbing viola and then went into yes. the studio for some of these tracks? <laughs> I mean... What other explanation could there be? <laughs> Unless they were just like, I'm living in Brooklyn and all I hear are like fire trucks going down the street and my neighbor's uh, smoke alarm going off constantly. And uh, I was like, hey, maybe I can incorporate that sound into a song. <laughs> Nonstop. Yeah. So this album, it peaked in the U.S. at 121 on the Billboard 200. On the R&B hip hop, it peaked at 19, which again, I've never had anything that's been in, in any even any kind of contention for Billboard noticing that it existed. But when you talk about comparison to some of the other acts that were coming out of the New York hip hop scene at the time, not super successful. But again, the kind of impact that I think had maybe ripples throughout uh, that musical genre that developed into the behemoth that it is these days. You know, we talked about Tribe earlier. We talked about Wu-Tang earlier. And there was a non-seriousness or like a playfulness to mm. the Tribe albums and even to Wu-Tang. Because Wu-Tang oh, yeah. is hard, but they're also funny and playful. And it's not just I wrote a clever line. It's like I'm B 
being obviously a funny caricature at some points. And this, yeah, it seems to take itself a little too seriously for me a lot of the time. I'm glad you pointed that out because I, I noticed that too. And one of my notes was that serious self-seriousness weighed this down. And I totally agree that on Tribe, you felt this, this, hey, we're just riffing in a room. We're friends. They just seemed like relaxed characters generally. Wu-Tang, it's an interesting one because, like you said, in their lyrics, a lot of times they're being extreme, like extremely violent or extremely intense. But then they use the skits well. The skits on the first Wu-Tang record are part of what helped me make feel like the Wu-Tang Clan are actually goofy bastards who are just having fun with their friends. You know what I mean? And I, I almost heard it mentioned in some takes on Gangstar and this record on the internet that it was like a point of pride they didn't use any skits here. Like that was a crutch mm. or something. Yeah. But yeah. now, and, okay. and I, I don't know, sight unseen or sight unheard, I might have agreed with that take, except, except it would have helped break up the monotony. It would have helped deflate some of the I don't know. Bravado is not really the right word, but some of the self-seriousness. Yeah. And there are aspects of like the, uh, I just don't take them as threatening. A a couple times they try to throw down about how tough they are. Execution of a chump, that whole song is it just doesn't, there's no edge to it. Well, first of all, your big diss is you calling me a chump. So like, right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, like, I don't want to like, he literally calls somebody a slow poke. (laughs) I just thought that was the funniest rap diss I've ever heard. Dude, okay, it's funny you called that line out. So I was making dinner tonight and Were you making I put spaghetti this... bunny chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of the things about this album. It's really clean. So I was able to put this on with one of my young children in the room as I'm cooking dinner. And he said the line about a slow poke. And my daughter said, Dad, what's a slow poke? And I just thought it was hilarious <laughs> that that's where she asks what a slow poke is. I'm like, well, a slow poke, somebody who drives really slow or just is kind of moping uh, around. And you're right. That's the big diss on the album. Or is a uh, non-skilled rapper that can't be as lyrically sure. complex as him. I think that's what he's trying right, to get across. Right. But it does, it gets lost a little bit in its cleverness. But that is not to say that there is not cleverness on this album. Sure, I, there's a couple yeah, lines. I agree. Yeah, definite lines in here that I that will probably go over that I think are just badass. Well, are Total. there literally no curse words on the whole thing? Because that's I wrote that as a question mark. I didn't scan for everything. A couple were marked explicit. I think he might have said shit once or twice, but there was nothing, I mean, n- nothing crazy, well, yeah. crazy, right? N- nothing in line with what is probably, you know, uh, mainstream for, for the for the uh, genre. Ironically, unlike the Wu-Tang, the Wu-Tang album, it was very radio friendly. And also, unlike the Wu-Tang album, did not get a lot of radio play. Right. So <laughs> Wu-Tang was just like, yeah, just bleep a third of the just words. Like, I don't, who cares? People will get it. <laughs> so... You know, we talked a little bit about Step in the Arena. Let's let's just dive in. Let's start talking about some songs. Let's talk about Step in the Arena right now uh, uh, in depth. So we're going to listen to just a little bit more of Step in the Arena and talk about where the samples came from and, you know, some of the history of it and whatnot. So here we go. Here is another clip of Step in the Arena. I bet you that later you might be sad that you played yourself because you stepped up, just puffed out, and in just one lyric... You got snuffed out, cause rhyming is serious. I'm strong, I'm like Hercules. You'll get hurt with these lines, close the curtains, please. The suckers can jet, cause I wreck once you step in the arena. Step 
forum. We can seize our forum, causing mayhem. I'll slay them, and the blood will be. Adam, what did you think about this? As an opening track, I dug it. The, this kind of it was not the high mark of the album, but it it got me excited for what was to come. So I I thought it was a good out of the gate song to start with there's some cool rhymes in here that i liked if a beat was a princess i'd marry it i mean that's a little corny but i kind of dug it in the context of the tune right off the bat you hear how his lines are spilling over into the next measure which which kind of set up the the vocal style for me as well the sample and the hook were okay they weren't you know they didn't necessarily grab me that much um but i actually found myself listening to the lyrics more than the music which i sometimes feel like on the Tribe album, the samples and the beats were so good that I was focusing on the grooves and not listening to the lyrics. This was almost completely opposite. Kind of the the way that he said the lines and the fact that the samples didn't really grab me, I was actually able to focus on his, his lyrics more. So I, I thought that was an interesting foray into the album. You know, it's funny you mentioned the samples not grabbing you because there is a sample from this song that is insanely well-known and popular because it was later reused by Tupac in I Get Around. That step up, step, step up, step up. It's from the song Bumpin' Bus Stop. Basically, at the beginning, the guy's saying, like, I have a bus. Come on, get on my bus. It's also It's great. And he says, step up. And he's in the middle of a of a line, and they just clipped that step up, and they step up, step, step up, step up, and then Tupac took that sample that they made from another sample and mm, okay. used that as the background for "I Get Around," which is a very famous song, and yeah, it's a pretty good song. I'm gonna have a lot. I mean, to me, this song is this the single? I know it's the title track, but like, I one of the things that jumps out to me about this record or didn't jump out was a, an obvious single. Mm-hmm. I, I obviously can look at the Spotify total number of plays and extrapolate from there, but nothing. This is the, this is the most. This is uh just uh, just under five million. This is single number four the off the album. Ah. It goes just to get a rep, number one. Take a rest, number two. Love sick, number three. Step in the arena, number four. Who's going to take the weight, number five? I felt like one of the things that was going on here. I agree. I tended to kind of just dial in on. So we talked about Guru and his cadence and his notes being purpose, probably purposefully monotonous, but also the production was monotonous. And I felt like the production, I know that DJ Premier went on to have this very successful production career, and I listened to some of his most famous produced tracks. I'm sure Tom can rattle a couple off, <laughs> but... And I, I, I listened to even some of the later Gangstar stuff, and I liked it a lot better. In other words, I understand that his production evolved and sort of probably kept up with the times, and that all makes sense to me. But in this place, I have to say, it doesn't sound like his production is that great if we can separate production from raw DJ ability. So I feel like what they're going for here is to showcase his quote-unquote raw DJ ability, meaning my guess is he's actually scratching that record that Tom just mentioned. It's not it's not clipped on tape or anything like that, right? I, I think it's probably scratched. Like they would perform it live. Maybe Tom knows the answer. There are many instances where it is scratched, and you can kind of tell there are various points where he plays the sample like an instrument. He's kind of speeding up and slowing down the record. But for stuff where it's like the exact same clip for the hook, 
that's a that's a clipped thing that they're dropping in there. So like okay. that whole step Fair up, enough. step, step up, step up. That's a that's a clip that they made and they dropped that in. So maybe he did it once and then clipped that and then yes. dropped it in as a, as its own sample. Anyway, my point is I think it showcases his his quote unquote ability as a DJ. I got this sense that he was this really exciting DJ to go watch at a party because of his and this term DJ has been bastardized, to say the least, over the years. But I'm referring to the ability to take two records, to blend them together in real time, to do things like scratching, to find a certain part of the record, things like that. Yeah, all that is, beat matching stuff. Yeah, all that beat matching really, stuff. By the way, I don't know if you guys have ever tried that. It's remarkably difficult. It is. I tried it once at, at my old roommate's at my old roommate's station. Yeah, it was. it's freaking impossible, basically. So <laughs> yeah. I have mad respect for that. I think... The production generally showcases that, but that said, they do this approach of just one sample only. That you know, like I need dynamics in the song, and these are gonna these are my complaints kind of about all the songs. Is you you found one cool sample, bravo! You're able to kind of drop it out maybe every once in a while. Maybe there's a change for the chorus of the song, but without. And Tribe does something similar, but then they also use the multiple rappers approach to give dynamics and I don't know, they, they bring dynamics in some other ways. So this, this just felt monotonous on, on kind of both levels while I was appreciating the talent. I will say if you look at who was sampled on these songs, oftentimes it's just two or three songs. And it, I remember in those tribe albums, it'd be like seven songs were sampled and even if they're just grabbing a tiny clip of a drum hit or something like that, there still was much more of a soundscape being created. Like this yeah. song, Step in the Arena, Never Let Them Stay by Ball and Jack from 1970 is sampled for the kind of the hook. Uh, Four Play by Fred Wesley and the Horny Horns, which is a, a great name. That's the horn sounds. And then Bump and Bust Stop is that whole step up, step, step up uh, by Thunder and Lightning. So this is true crate diving, right? Props to yeah. you for diving in, finding these songs that I've that none of us have ever heard of. That that says something. Right. <laughs> Another, I'm sure this is probably sacrilege to mention this other record, but it hasn't come up yet. Pulse Boutique is like four years old at this point too, and talk about a sample freaking collage. I know that's a whole different animal, you could argue, but given that that's out in the zeitgeist for some amount of time, I'm expecting more from sampling. Yeah, the gauntlet has been thrown down already. Uh, that this is possible. I could have, you know, 17 samples on a track with good rapping, with intricate interplay between rappers, and then sometimes taking entire parts of a song, music and lyrics, and dropping them in and having it work. Like, that's incredible versus right. just, like, grabbed a drum beat or something like that. I think that what this what this group was trying to do was... They were like, DJ Premier, you're a damn good DJ. You are at the top of the DJ game in terms of the ability to physically manipulate the equipment and make cool sounds. And Guru, you're a really clever rapper. You have complex and dense lyrics. They're very clever. They're witty. Let's highlight both of those aspects. But the reality is, is that even if it was insane virtuosity on both ends of the spectrum from you know from the dj and from the lyricist i do need more than just those two virtuosos throwing it out there every time because also the reality is that you're just not going to hit it on all tracks 
even if you are an incredibly virtuosic you're virtuoso with lyrics you, you say the words good even if you say the words good you're not going to do it on every single track I will, however, point out that I think that there are this particular track has some really good lyrics. I can see why they named the album after it. There's one particular sort of a couple of couplets that I thought were really good. And it showed off that kind of running over the one and intraline rhyming that I think is really cool. And I'm just going to go ahead and read the lyrics for you, which is not going to help anybody in terms of actually appreciating how dense they are. But listen to the song. But basically, the line is, In the arena or forum, weak MCs I will floor them, causing mayhem I'll slay them, and the blood will be pouring. Furthermore, I implore that as a soldier of war, I go in only to win and be the holder of more. So there are like... Rhymes and rhymes and rhymes. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, Yeah, that's cool. And it's really cool. Didn't save the song for me. Right. You're not going to get that much better than that. Didn't save the song for me. First use of implore in a hip-hop track. Right. (laughs) Possibly. Possibly, yeah. 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 (laughs) That's a very... I associate that word with Edgar Allan Poe, you know? (laughs) (laughs) The bells. Um, (laughs) That was a very, very inside joke that only Rob gets. (laughs) Adam, I think you may have been in that uh, that AP English class where uh, <laughs> where the, the bells was being read by the stereotypical like East Coast goomba. It was like the bells, the ringing and the jamming of the bells. <laughs> yes, I think I remember uh, that. Yeah. Taught taught by a nun. I didn't make it into that class because the previous teacher hated me because I figured out that the way that she had ranked the um, the way that she had weighted grades, I was like, well, I just can never do the homework and I will get 100% on every in-class assignment and then I will get a B and I will be totally fine with that. And she was really pissed off that I did that because I never did the homework. <laughs> she's the like, system. why don't you do your homework? I'm like, <laughs> it literally doesn't matter. I will get 100% on everything you give me in class. And, and I will still be okay. What more do you need to judge whether or not I have an understanding of the material? Do you need me to do a math and material? Yeah. <laughs> right. Anything else on Step in the Arena before we move on to the next track we're going to talk about here? Yeah, yeah. I don't have anything else either. It, it, not bad. Like, I will say this about almost every song on the album. Not bad. But right. I wasn't yeah. like, oh, man, this is going on the playlist. I really mm-hmm. need to. Yeah. Even putting the playlist of f- songs to focus on together was kind of difficult because I was sort of feeling like it was relatively arbitrary. No highs, no lows. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. There were some lows, yes. Relatively, <laughs> yeah. you're right. But yeah, let's move on to the next song that we're going to talk about in a little bit more in depth here. It is Who's Gonna Take the Weight? And ladies, these rhymes are like the keys to a dope car. Maybe a Lexus or a Jaguar still. All of that is just material. So won't you take the scenario and just imagine if each one is teaching one. We'll come together so that we become a strong force. Then we can stay on course. Find your direction through introspection. And for my people out there, I got a question. Can we be the sole controllers of our fate now? Who's going to take the weight? <laughs> This is the song that I said, oh, I think DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill heard the song and was like, I'm going to base my entire sound on that horn sample. (laughs) Freaking air raid siren sound. 
Because, I mean, like, they were relatively contemporary. The original Black Hill, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Cypress Hill album came out the same year as uh, as this album came out. And I could totally see him being like, guy, can we, can we get a band uh. practice? I mean, like, guys, guys, I got it. <laughs> I figured it out. I'm just going to make this sound that goes for this. <laughs> like, how long is he going to do that? Oh, like, the whole the album. Whole Not just the whole song. The whole album is going to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty annoying. I, I did appreciate a little bit of riffage on it in the chorus, again, with some some record scratchy scratch the or some tone bending or whatever, but it's it's pretty bleeding, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, this this continues what uh Rob what you had said about being monotonous even in the structure. Uh with the Burrito Brothers album, I think we had gotten like four songs in and I think I said something like, "Oh, big surprise. There's a one-bar intro and then the guys come in singing harmony for the next two and a half minutes." And it's like it just happened every song. Just about every song in this album is an intro uh of of, of Usually just a bar of a sample, which for those of you listening at home, a bar is usually just a four count. One, two, three, four, start over. One, two. So you've got a sample that's only lasting about three or four seconds. They come in with the rap, and about 10 seconds after the rap starts, some noise happens, whether it's like a horn droning or an alarm clock bell ringing. And then that goes on for another three minutes, and that's your formula for the song. And that really came to light in this one. Yeah, it's like, oh, I, I, I got this awesome sample. I went to my grandma's house, and I got the sound that her chair makes when she sits in it. And I'm just going to loop that again and again and again for the entirety of this song. But no, they so they pulled this... Uh, again, the samples on this album, it, it is from the album Party, uh, from the song Party with two R's by Maceo and the Max. And then also, interestingly, they sampled LL Cool J's To the Break of Dawn, which came out in the same calendar year as this album. Really? Hmm. And he doesn't even live that far away. They're simply <laughs> a guy who's like, what? they could run into him at the bus stop. <laughs> what was the what was the sample? Because there's a couple other LL Cool J references that that I I had found while listening to this, and even in this song, he says something about the jammy goes pow, and that stuck out in my mind because in the song Mama said knock you out. There's a very uh, yeah. there's a very blatant line where he goes my jammy goes pow. How you like me now? And he says the same exact thing here. Well, which I just thought was odd. I believe this is before Mama said knock you out. Okay, all right. Maybe everybody was talking about jammies going pal. I was the whitest, most suburban dad thing I have ever said. I everybody the jammies, the jammies were, the the jammies were going pal. pal. In yeah. my mind, I don't know if a jammie's a gun or really cool pajamas. <laughs> so interestingly, this album was, there's like two different release dates for Step in the Arena. On the liner notes, it says it was released in 1990. But uh, commercially, it was released in 1991, which would actually put it out after Mama Said Knock You Out, which came out September 14th, 1990. So, OK. All right. All right. But but they had already recorded it by that time. So I can't imagine that they were actually, you know, writing lyrics still at that point. That would be pretty ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, they also sampled that same LL Cool J song later to break to, to break a dawn. Yeah, I I don't know. 
this is one of those ones where, again, by the end of it, these are not long songs. But by the end of it, I'm like, come on, guys. Like, you you talked about the formulaic aspect of it. You are 100% right because almost every single song also has the outro where it's like, all right, DJ Premier, take the sample and give it like a whoop up, whoop up, whoop up, whoop up. And impressive, I'm sure, to see you do that. To hear you do that once or twice, also probably pretty impressive. And you know, maybe it is me coming at it from a modern uh, lens where that would, again, we've talked about this before. It would take you 40 seconds in Pro Tools or in you know GarageBand to do that. Like, this is not complex stuff these days. But back then it was, and it was, I guess, impressive. But, uh, yeah, I couldn't take much more of that by the end of the song. And we're not that deep in the album. And I right. still... Kind of track like, oh, five maybe Lord, yeah. yeah what in your mind is more annoying the the drive like jehu feedback for 30 seconds or the slightly less annoying noise in this song but spread out over the course of three minutes and 56 seconds <sighs> that's a tough or is one it, yeah i don't know if I, I don't know which one i'd want to deal my with. note is the horn sample is really annoying i found myself feeling release when the chorus hits because it drops because out temporarily yes. yes i was just like oh thank god yeah it's, like, it's breathing putting breathing him in hedge this whole time rob what are your what are your thoughts any, any other thoughts on this one no that's that's really all i got it is repetitive it, this was a this was kind of a low point for me but you said it it's the same thing we've been saying it's repetitive and i kept having to i kept not believing my eyes that these songs are all like three minutes long and that but there's <laughs> just so many of them that i was like how far am i into this thing it feels like i've been in this song for a long time I feel like I've been in the album for a long time. It's like, did I, again, did it hit that point where it started playing the Gangstar radio on my Spotify and it's just playing (laughs) other random 90s rap songs that all kind of sound the same? There was one lyrical note that, that I made here that I appreciated that he didn't do. At one point, he says something about ladies, and then he's going to start listing cars. And in your mind, I was waiting for him to say Mercedes because it rhymes with ladies. He doesn't. Instead, he continues the line and says something about a dope car, a Lexus, or a Jaguar. I was like, all right, well done. You didn't go with the Mercedes ladies rhyme. I appreciate that. He's a good lyricist. He really is a good lyricist. And I think that... You talk about some of the good lyricists from these eras, like you talk about like a cool Keith or something like that. It's the inflection. It really is the inflection. I, if he had more character in his voice, it would have been so much more palatable. But let's move on to another song uh, that we're going to dive into here. It is the song Check the Technique. You puny protozoa, you're so minute you didn't know the gang has been watching you, but instead of just squashing you, I'm scooping you up out of the muck you wallowing like a chief chemist. Other scientists are following, planning to examine you on a petri dish, sticking you and fricking you. Just a teeny bit of clever with science, but never relying on false words from cowards who forever be trying. Insisting they come off, I let them get some off, then come back with drum tracks their ears could get numb off. Blockbusting, like making love, I'll never stop thrusting into your system. So just listen, I'm like a neurosurgeon, operating with a pure aversion. I write prescriptions of words that fit in. The dope gets prescribed as I can get live. Because it's more than a style, it's conception. Adam, this is the one, the opening it line. Says protozoa, right? <laughs> you puny protozoa, you so minute, you didn't know the gang has been watching you. Come on. It's, that's, a, again, really clever, <laughs> really cool. 
And this this was the high point of the album for me. I think that this song combined the things that I like. The other thing that I will say about it is that there was a little bit of like an aha moment for me. I am a big Black Alicious fan. I think Gift of Gab is a fantastic lyricist, um, but on their amazing EP, I think it was from 1999, their EP A2G, which is fantastic if you guys haven't. I, Rob, I know you've listened to that. Adam, you probably haven't listened to that. That's the one that has that song Alphabet Aerobics on it where he does. Like, uh, yeah, I'm the, familiar yeah. with that tune. Yeah. Listen to the whole EP. It's really good. There's a song called Rock the Spot where like basically they're cutting in samples from other rap songs and then he's like kind of rhyming to them at one uh, it's really cool it's very well done but that whole the that you're lacking the vernacular from this song is and i've always really liked it because he's like you're lacking the vernacular i'm rapping the spectacular is like the rhyme that uh that he says it like incredulously he's like i'm rapping the spectacular what are you talking about uh in the black alicia song so when i heard that i was like oh i know that sample so well like i know that line that has to be sampled there and i looked it up and yes that is correct ah cool cool what did you think of this song generally, man? Uh, for me, it was it was fine. Like I I gotta say, like nothing really stood out, or if anything stood out, it was more on. I picked out certain lyrics. I I laughed just as a dumb thing, but one of his lines in here is "blockbusting," like making love. I never stop thrusting. Like, <laughs> like never, like never ever, man. <laughs> it's just all jackhammer all the time. I don't think ladies like that, man. <laughs> Seems like a bad idea. Constantly, <laughs> constantly thrusting. Uh, well, I dug the sample. So, do you know what the the samples from here? It has a very seventies California uh, Soul by Marlena Shaw, which was right. uh, nineteen sixty nine. So, got pre seventies, okay. and then again another contemporary, "Keep Your Eyes on the Prize" by Marley Marl uh, from nineteen eighty eight, was also mm. sampled on this. Interesting. That just seems kind of weird to me. Like if I was listening to a, a, a I guess. Maybe I don't have an appropriate analog for this, but if I was listening to a song and it referenced a song that came out like 14 months beforehand, I'd be like, okay, I mean, they just did that. Like, why are we, why are you reusing that? But a lot of 90s rap does do that. We talked about that with um, the Ice Cube album, The Predator, where he was referencing and sampling and talking about stuff that was so contemporary. Maybe that's, yeah, that, I think that might be just part of hip hop culture, though, to kind of have this idea of a not just a tight community but one where you're you're talking back and forth through the records i mean i think of that as a little bit of a hallmark of hip-hop for instance via the diss track but it feels like part of the genre is wanting to be as in the moment and topical as possible so i just wonder but at the same time especially in these early days when you're trying to evolve an art form at this point in the game of the early 90s there's still a lot of fun sharing of ideas in that way I, i'm, I'm kind of guessing but that yeah. kind of tracks to me i could also see from the standpoint of when <laughs> bring it back to the tribe album when they say uh no need to sweat or senio to gain some kind of fame where you're sort of you're sort of piggybacking off of the success and fame of other contemporary artists to sort of get yourself kind of in the in the mainstream as well because like somebody broke through and you're like if that person breaks through what I I'm going to try to associate myself with that person so that I can also break through because it was a you know a, a market where there was the possibility for explosion but a lot of it was still happening on the underground so maybe that's 
why I, you know as a bunch of 40 something white guys in suburbia right now <laughs> you know, guessing about this I'm, I'm, it, it, that would make sense to me but we could be wrong and again dear listeners if you think we're wrong 1001 album complaints at gmail.com let us know <laughs> hell yeah it just wouldn't surprise me if they're all kind of going to the same parties or hanging on in the same clubs or chat you know in they truly were kind of contemporaries right they didn't live far apart as we mentioned and there are only so many people in this rap game at this point. It's not like it is now. It was a much smaller community at the time, for sure. So I assume it was done, yes, for all the reasons you just mentioned, Tom, as well. But I, I don't know. I assume it was done in a friendly way. Well, actually, it was either a friendly way or a combative way, one or the other. Yeah, there were a lot of diss tracks and like turf wars uh, going on. The, the bridge wars was going on at the time with KRS-One and Marley Mall. Which, by the way, I, I just want to throw out here, because we I, I didn't talk about this earlier, uh, about how DJ Premier is renowned as like one of the best rap producers of all time. He's produced a lot of stuff that you definitely heard of. Um, and definitely evolved over the time. Uh, DJ Premier, so here's a list of just some of the acts that he's worked with. He's worked with KRS-One. He's worked with Heavy D and the Boys. He's worked with Nas on the album Illmatic, which is a, a great album and also a massive success. He also worked with Jay-Z, who very famously, him and Nas, had a, a whole sort of beef going on. He worked with Notorious B.I.G. He worked with Big Daddy Kane. He worked with Adam, your favorite, Limp Bizkit. <laughs> and finally... Wow. The pun intended cherry on top. He worked with Nena Cherry uh, on her album Homebrew. There is a song <laughs> called Sassy. Brew. Oh my God. Oh, literally, <laughs> the cover of Homebrew is her with a baby stroller and a, like, a baby in it. <laughs> I there know. Is, oh my God. The, so opening, the opening song called Sassy actually has <sighs> DJ Premier and Guru on it. And it starts off and. You, Listeners, do yourself a favor. Listen to Sassy. Actually, let's just drop a little bit of Sassy right now. Let's drop it right now. Basically, it starts off with like, oh, this is well-produced, kind of definitely better produced than the raw like sushi stuff. And then the insurance just comes in and shits all over it. She's so terrible. She cannot sing and she cannot rap and she cannot decide which one she wants to do on any of her songs. And then Guru comes in and does like a pretty good verse. And then it's back to Nana Cherry. Oh, yeah. It's so terrible. He went right from the studio working on New York State of Mind with Nas to to this. session yes uh yeah i had one last uh complaint here on on this tune it's it's a production decision so the underlying sample is a really tight groove it has a really nice kick drum pattern that kind of you can definitely bob your head to it what they did on the actual track here is they overdubbed like an 808 with some delay on it so you get a bow right it's not tight and they don't hit on the same beats as the actual natural kick drum of the sample. So you have a really rock and bob and sample, and they manage to like 
take all of the edge off of it. So now it's just like, boom, boom, boom. And it's just, it kind of kills the groove of the actual song that they were sampling. So that was just a very questionable. And again, it just goes back to his singing style or his, his rapping style is all very, it just kind of made it this, this it's kind uh, of a mush. <laughs> yeah. It just kind of cut all the edges off it. Now you just kind of got this mediocre tr- rolling thing. Like so. if somebody's, if somebody's complimenting your groove, they usually say it's a tight groove <laughs> and you right. don't want to take away from the tightness of the groove to have a very loose sounding, like I said, bleh, bleh, it just got muddy. Sound. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, Go ahead, and we're going to move on to the the next song we're going to talk about here, which is Here Today, Gone Tomorrow. Many MCs are misled. Misled by the lies that they pump in their heads The money and the fame that they're hoping to find Will never come close to the scope of my rhyme Now, some have been successful, but really And yo, these MCs are clearly not nearly Up to this level, or should I say caliber It's just some hype that the company's selling you Cause they'll take a dud, talking crud, and they'll push him But in the next year, someone new will just squish him Cause when you sell out to appeal to the masses You have to go back and enroll in some classes now, Rob, I have a question specifically for you. I, Adam, I don't think you might pick up on this, but the main sample is the song Crosswinds by Billy Cobham, which is a great song, by the way. Did you get the vibe of a very specific song with that da 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 over it? I did not, oh, I, no. I thought of that song Hot and Tot by uh, John Schofield oh, with MMW. I, yeah. Off I, that I, a Go-Go yeah. album, right? Oh, Adam, yeah. right. I didn't, I didn't nice. know you were... Oh, yeah, uh, I love okay. that album, yeah. That's a great yeah. album, but... I was uh, that really. I was like, "Oh, this this has got like a hot and Todd groove to it." I love hot and Todd. That song, that song slays. And like, yeah. That's but a good then point. the structural problems struck me because hot and Todd starts switching chords, and it has like <laughs> you know, it has some variance to it. And yeah. the Billy Cobham song also like they're like, "We're gonna do this for about like thirty seconds, and then we're gonna give you a bunch of other stuff that sounds also really good because you're also you're already sick of this, right?" It's super simple. I want to. I want to go back, take this song, and add in. Totally. Right, like that would just be awesome on top of this. Yeah. Yes, from Hot and Tot. That's funny. I haven't even thought about yeah. that record in a long time, but the groove did. The sample did feel really familiar, and now that maybe you've crystallized why. I, I wrote that this might be the best chorus. I, I didn't think any of the choruses were particularly great, but I like this <laughs> chorus. Okay, and then I pulled out a lyric that was. After the slowpoke line, which just really had me cracking up for for days, uh, this might have been my favorite set of lyrics that I think showcase a couple things about Guru, both his willingness to go out of his way to not curse and his sort of wholesomeness mixed with his high vocab. So he says, because they'll take a dud, talk some crud, then push him. But in the next year, someone will just squish him. Because when you sell out to appeal to the masses, you have to go back and enroll in some classes. I was, yeah, it was like, uh, he's definitely going to say asses, right? Like, there's, or like, that's that's the line that's coming. Crush oh, some no, asses. No, education yeah. is the path, boys. <laughs> Which, by the way, I don't disagree with that message, but still. <laughs> he put squish and crud in yeah. one hip-hop couplet. <laughs> 
I thought it was another one of those where the samples were kind of the standout, but then by the end of the song, I was just like, huh, okay, give me more. Just give me more. Again, not a, not a long song, but like, give me more. There's also 30 seconds of outro on this song. It does not need 30 seconds of outro. It's the total runtime of this song is, what, what is the total runtime here? Uh, 218. 218. And you have 30 seconds of outro. Again, to showcase the talent of DJ Premier. But you know what it made me appreciate your talent more? Is if you found two or three more samples to throw into the song <laughs> to break up the yeah, monotony. Exactly. And not just, I'm going to take the same sample and go, <laughs> This tune made me think that these guys would have begun with, with a rock band backing them. Like the the feel and the kind of distorted electric piano on that yeah, sample, it had a rock. And I could have pictured, yeah, yeah I, I I could picture these guys excelling with maybe a little more aggressive music, not just a yeah. jazz groove. But if there was something more driving, this may have had more appeal. If only there was a really great band that also had highly conscious hip hop lyrics and rock and roll chops. You're referring to the Roots. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well done. Yeah. yeah. They, I mean, honestly, the Roots got their start in 87. They were, I mean, they were still like really? Philly, but they were, yeah. 92 is when they basically like kind of started getting more serious. These were really called the Square Roots, and they changed their name to the Roots in like 92. And I think their I debut album came out in 93. So, yeah, they were underground, certainly, but they were definitely already doing things. So that, that whole organic hip-hop, which is, I mean, you just get just get a killer drummer and a killer bass player. And, like, yeah. I mean, what more do you need? It's pretty it's, I didn't awesome. know that about the the name for the roots. That was a good call, changing the name. And and I, I wanted to I wanted to touch on the gangstar name too because it's kind of there's something somewhat prescient about the fact that gangster rap was sort of just around the corner when they picked this name, right? Do you think, or was that? I think gangster rap was already a thing, right? Because uh, what did Straight Outta Compton come out? Right, Straight Outta Compton was uh, that was I think that was like eighty seven. And they were already calling that gangster rap when they when they came up with this name. I believe so. Yeah. Huh. All right. Fair enough. Straight out of Compton came out in. It was recorded eighty seven, eighty eight. Came out in eighty eight. Yeah. All right. You know, maybe that was more of a West Coast thing, and the information hadn't quite made it to New York yet. But I kind of doubt that. Isn't that New York's whole thing? Like everything flows through us. We're the greatest city in the world. The greatest city in the world. <laughs> 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 now I gotta put that on the mix, huh? <laughs> uh, I'm glad you guys at least got it. Like I, I, I executed the uh, the the melody well enough that it was. Well, according to our recent text chain, Phil has not even listened to Hamilton one time. So really, funny. right? Didn't he kind of imply that? I thought he was saying he was going to re-listen to it. I had to go back and reread that because um, if he has never heard any of the music from Hamilton, I mean, you gotta you gotta listen to that. Uh, another um, 
sort of like random tidbit that is a complete digression from this. I, I recently found out, and I think it's my favorite thing, is that uh, I'm, I'm a fan of that rapper, Mortal Technique. And um, apparently uh, both he and Lin-Manuel Miranda have said independently in interviews that he used to mercilessly bully Lin-Manuel Miranda in high school. <laughs> like they went uh-huh. to high school together and he was a gigantic dick to him <laughs> and uh, mercilessly bully him all the time. Yeah. And then they both became successful. And I can totally see why. They would have been oil and water and not mixed very well. <laughs> All right, what's next on the list, Tom? What do we got? Let's talk about what you want this time. Fatima, Salika, oh, Frida. Look, I have a question. Just what is it that you need? A man, a lover, maybe someone to talk to, or could it be a scheming? Oh, not you. Well, listen, I got this phone to start for business. And who gave you our number? Seriously, what is this? The new fad? Now you want to kick it to a rapper, DJ, or dancer? <laughs> Sorry, so there was a moment in this song where I could only think of Biff. From Back to the Future, when he <laughs> he says Biff's line is, "Why don't you make like a tree and get out of here?" And the line in here is, "Make like a camper and take a hike." Yeah. Oh snap! Yeah. Oh, shit. Watch out, he's gonna bust oh. out the jammy. <laughs> no, my favorite line on this, and it uh, it is my favorite like cheese line is on the album is. Do, her, do me a favor. Tell her I'm not here. Forget it. I think she heard my voice already. You can let her in, but I'm trying to cook spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> That's dancing on Nana Cherry territory right honestly, there. Like, first of all, this how are you cooking spaghetti that's different from me? Because right. I throw it in a pot of boiling water and I walk away. It, this, this is not complex. <laughs> Number two, you're worried that you're going to ruin like 38 cents of noodles. <laughs> you got you to keep thrusting, Tom. <laughs> Oh yeah, this song is it's pretty lame. Pretty this was, yeah, lame. I labeled this the low point, certainly of the of the list of songs we said we we're gonna talk about. But um, yeah, I the subject matter of you know my note is another '90s rap song about how hard it is to have all these ladies after your dick, which is basically <laughs> what he says. Like, oh, I mean, I just can't even walk down the street anymore without women trying to hump my leg. It's so difficult <laughs> to be me. It's like, listen, first of all, I cannot relate. And second of all, I really <laughs> doubt that that's true. <laughs> but then, it's, it's true. But then on top of that, yeah, no no real lyrical prowess on display here. Like you said, it's it's much more cheese. I don't, I don't hear a lot of vocab words in here. It, it feels uh, out of character even for them. Yeah, definitely. This one felt dashed off. Definitely. Yeah, I, you know, again, it's, they, what, they sample James Brown, that song Nose Job, and a song by Freddie and Colonel Mike called Life is What You Make of It. That's kind of the part of the chorus. And I, it's, it's cool when DJ Premier plays the sample like an instrument for like four seconds. Yeah, I mean, this did the, the same thing, right? It starts with a sample. It adds in some weird noise, which in this case is, I think, a telephone ringing mm-hmm. that they're just like, ring, 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 ring. and then they they that actually goes on for quite some time, and then they come in with the lyrics. It goes on for just very 
quite some time. Yeah, <laughs> Which, like 30 seconds. You know why they made the sound of a telephone like that? It's because you want it to stop. <laughs> You're like, well, I need to pick this up so this doesn't continue into my life. Dude, dude wow. that's hilarious. So true. Well done. <laughs> like, well, how about we just blast that into your ears and then we'll have a guy go... Uh, yeah, I mean, we're 12 tracks deep on this record at this point, and I'm, I'm definitely falling asleep a little bit. Yeah. Monumentally yeah. influential, Rob. Monumentally okay. influential. Well, I, I, maybe so, you know? No, I, I, here's the thing. I do find myself listening to this stuff and putting a lot of things as contemporaries that came later. And a significant amount of time later in terms of the compressed timeline of early hip-hop and that explosion. Again, I could not help but think about Wu-Tang and, like, how much better. I mean, that Enter the 36 Chambers is a – that is a flawless album. That album's amazing. I can't help but think about, like, how much better that was, and it came out two years later. It's like, you know, did you really make that much of a leap? But I will also say – Giving Gangstar a little bit of credit here is that Nana Cherry's Raw Like Sushi came out in 1989, and this came out in 1990. And like, how much different and more produced and lyrically uh, developed does this sound versus totally. something that was a smash hit a year I, before? <laughs> I totally buy that this was influential at the time, and that if and its context is the key here for sure in this discussion. It does not in my opinion, did not age well for a cold listen who didn't have nostalgia about it. I think that's really what we're all saying. But there is context, so that's important. Yeah, I have a lot of nostalgia for some really terrible music. And uh, this just happens to not be some of the terrible music I have nostalgia for. But that's being unfair. I cannot say that this is terrible. But again, it is like I never was waiting for that track to come up that I was like, oh yeah, this is the one. It's not terrible. To use a word that I'm sure Guru would be quite familiar with. It's a bit milk toast. Well, you guys, let's just move on to the last song, right? Yeah. yeah. Let's, uh... As I read my essay, essay spelled capital S dash A for some reason. So stay attentive, cause this is a new joint From the G-A-N-G with the info Lyrical elements emerge from the intro Forming a poetic mass over pathetic trash Other writers are outclassed Surpassed by the words and the wit Rhymes fit and hit, cause it's how we designed it Page for page, we are the new age Dope in the videos and dope who went on stage Commanding respect with my ink pen My suckers are sinking As I'm keeping them thinking Narrating phrases of value And I can see now you Relate to what I create From back in the days of my youth I've looked for the truth And yo, my rhymes are the real proof New heights and new realms have been reached By use of my speech Along with one of Premier's beats So listen and we'll show you the best way And then sweat As I read my essay Yeah, is there a hidden meaning to that initialization? That seems pretty silly to me. It does seem pretty silly. I don't know. The only thing that I know that SA stands for in modern um, like internet lingo is sexual assault. And so I don't think that that's what he meant. 
I, I, one would hope not. Unless he's really trying to, you know, exercise some demons with some slam poetry here or something like that. But I mean, it's listen, I think the best you can say about this track is it's kind of a mission statement for the band. Like the whole every track for him sounds like he's reading from his essay. He's got a lot to say. Oh, yeah. He's a crafter of words. I pulled out a, a line I liked from this that I think is indicative of him overall as a lyricist forming a poetic mass over prophetic trash. Other writers are outclassed. I mean, if I could just sum up the whole thing, I, yeah, I agree. He's a great writer, but it's just not enough to bring it across, and it wasn't enough to make this track differentiated in any particular way. I don't really have any other notes. I had two bullets, actually three bullets. One is, uh, I'm tired. Two <laughs> is, oh, essay. Got it. And the third one is another one where there's a one-bar sample, you loop it for eternity, and you scratch over it a bit. And I didn't even, I didn't really even listen oh, much to the lyrics. By the so way, I, I was exhausted at this point. Not a bit. In the album. There is a 50-second scratching outro on this 182-second song. <laughs> so I didn't miss much. There is, it's more than a quarter of the song is outro of him just sort of scratching over it. And, you know... Uh, I, it wasn't offensive. This I just had this filler. That's my note. It just says filler. Yeah. But I will say, a little bit of gall. The at this time I have the honor to present to you. Do you know where that's sampled from? That's the guy introducing Martin Luther King for the frickin' I Have a Dream speech. Oh, <laughs> and you're using that, that for this is song. Bold for this that song. That is bold. Yes. I mean. Wow. <sighs> yeah, that mm. was. I, I was. When I saw that that was the sample, I was like, oh, oh, come on, man. Like, <laughs> I'm not saying that's off limits, but I am saying that you better be ready to come correct after that. <laughs> you better have some pretty damn powerful words to say. <laughs> right. And this was not it. Agreed. Oh, all right. Well, there you have it. Dear listeners, thank you for sticking with us through this deep dive of some of the songs on Gang Stars release Step in the Arena, released in 1990 slash 1991. All that is left now is we are going to give our sort of summation and vote on whether or not we think this makes the list of 1001 albums you must hear before you die. I'm throwing it over first to Adam. There's a parallel universe somewhere where all of these songs, uh, the lyrical content was crammed down into about half the space and it was given to Busta Rhymes or somebody on PCP who could deliver it with a little bit more <laughs> oomph and, uh, and passion, where I think I would have enjoyed this week a lot more had it, had it been in that parallel universe. But for me, it was not. So I'm going to say no on this album as a must-listen. All right. O for 1. Rob, what's your vote here? You know, it's it's going to be a no for me as well. And Adam said something that just sparked a thought, which is we've sometimes laughed and sometimes applauded when bands seem to take two songs or three songs and smash them together into one song. But actually, I think that would have been a helpful approach here. I could have taken a couple five-minute songs that were an amalgam of what we actually got on the record. Listen, I, I enjoyed our discussion. It did help bring some clarity to where they fit in the hip-hop timeline, and, and to be honest, even listening to it, I think it makes for great party music, great background music. I, I wouldn't have a problem putting it on in the background, as we've talked about in the past. But is it a must listen? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it works better either as background music or in maybe in mixed form if I heard one of these songs. 
or even I'm, I'm tempted to say that even though I believe or could believe that Gangstar is a must listen group to understand this style, this lyricist, this DJ, et cetera, this production style, it feels like they came into their own after this. I only took a glancing look at their albums after this, but they sounded better. They aged better in terms of the production. So it's a no for me. All right, 0 for 2. This is just a serial, ceremonial vote from me, where I also say no, that it does not belong in the list. <laughs> um, you know, this album lacked character. And I don't mean that in terms of, uh, you know, the, the righteous character of the people who made the album. Because they actually, number one, they seem very intelligent in terms of their um, abilities at each of their lanes. Uh, DJ Premier, obviously a very good DJ. And Guru, obviously a very talented vocalist. But he his delivery had no character. And I did not get a sense of... Rob, you talk about Buster Rhymes. He's got an emotive and distinctive voice. This could have been anybody, anybody's voice. And it just doesn't... It didn't make a lasting impression on me. It didn't have that, again, that sort of Q-tip style of he's mellow definitely mellow but he's cool and he's emotive and there was just not a lot of emoting going on there and i didn't feel like there was a lot of character in the voice and i didn't feel like the songs mixed it up enough for me to tell the difference between each one which would have given it the individual character of each track so i'm gonna go no and i will say i have again no problem appreciating the fact that this led to some really cool stuff in early hip-hop but just listen to that stuff instead i don't think you need to listen to this to understand how you got from point a to point b i think it's pretty self-explanatory without spending an hour listening to this album so there you have it zero four three sorry gangstar and guru again rest in power he ended up dying in what did he die in like 1990? No, no, sorry, 19, not 1990. Album came out in 1990. What the hell am I talking about? <laughs> um, Guru died in uh, like 2017. When did he die? 2010. Sorry, he died in 2010. Oh, wow. okay. He was diagnosed in 2000 with a uh, basically like a blood cancer. Um, kept it oh, very geez. on the low, um, but uh, he, he had a heart attack, but he had multiple myeloma, which is a, a plasma cell myeloma. It's cancer of your plasma cells, so Jesus. not good. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so and that super sucks because, again, I think he was a really smart guy. I think he was a really um, talented guy. I think that there would be better showcases for his talent than what we got on this album. Um, and you never want to hear of anybody dying of cancer. That's just that just sucks. So, ending it on a super down note here. Um, <laughs> if you guys want to uh, give us any opinions on the album, opinions on the show, anything you think that we got right, anything you think we got wrong, reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. One thousand and one album complaints at gmail dot com. One zero zero one album complaints at gmail dot com. Always love to hear the feedback. Um, and I, I say this honestly. We've had a couple of people reach out to us and give us context on things that we did not know, did not find in our research. Maybe they're like, I'm from this area, and I was around then, and this is what I know. Like, that's super cool feedback. We'd love to hear it. Um, or you can just tell us that we're a bunch of, uh, you know, loudmouth jackasses who have no uh, right to give our opinions on music. And, you know, listen, 
I'm not going to say you're wrong about that, but here we are with our own show, <laughs> giving our opinions. So give us some feedback and also tell a friend, you know, if, if you think that this is cool, we would very much appreciate you sharing it with us, with uh, some people. We have honestly not done a whole lot to promote it. Uh, we've told our friends, but uh, we're really hoping word of mouth is going to be the way that people can hear about this, which I think will probably get the best listeners. People who actually care about it and want to, uh, and want to listen to it. So, all that we have to do now is get our homework assignment for next week. What are we going to be listening to? And for that, we are going to bust out the Albinator 5000. I have it ready to go. I, I forced my children to disassemble it and clean all of the parts and put it back together. <laughs> I would Child not, labor. Yeah, I would not give them food or water until they completed the task. It took all weekend. Um, they're fine now, though. Lovely. So, without any further ado, drum roll, please. We will be listening to. Okay. Natty Dread by Bob Marley and the Whalers. Well, given that I'm a white person who went to college, I have heard this one before. (laughs) (laughs) Same. Believe it or not, I think I may have actually heard, if not heard this album all the way through, I'm sure I've heard at least 50% of the songs from it. Well, thank God it's not going to be another really samey album next week. Yeah, should we start? Should we start it with a drum fill, guys? <laughs> oh, upbeats? No, I don't know. What do you think about upbeats on this one? <laughs> if if this bit. is the one with flying lion Zion it's on it, I'm out. Iron I'll lion to... Zion. Oh, okay, I'm gonna go. be iron like a lion oh, in Zion. God, I can't stand that. Iron lion I... Zion. <laughs> when I was a teenager, we did some some trip across uh uh the state with some friends and they had like one cassette and i think it was a bob marley mixtape and the only thing i remember is that song just being on the loop for like hours at a time so i've got some uh oh this is PTSD uh, there yeah we mentioned live up yourself last week uh, yeah, yeah mmw covered along with the monk tune so yeah this has got some killers on it honestly yeah, yeah, then yeah, belly totally. full but we hungry that's a great one no yeah, woman no good. cry a great song that got killed in college for me, and but I can listen to it now because I haven't heard it in twenty years. Yeah, we joke, but I think I think this is going to be a fun one. Yeah, no, this is this is looking like a pretty stacked album. So just say, oh yeah. I, <laughs> the other thing is that I'm glad that they spelled a lot of these things phonetically for me so that I can pronounce it that way and not sound like I'm trying to ape an accent like an asshole. I'm just reading it phonetically like you spelled it. Yeah, I was going to say, we got to put our bets on on the first uh, Jamaican accent that, you know, who's going right. to lay oh, that good in? Good Lord. Yeah. Who's going to accidentally crack on that? Yeah. Uh, no, no, it's going to be me. No, let's no, be no, honest, everybody. No, no. Uh, bushy, bush, bushy, bushy, bush. <laughs> All right. So that's exciting. I, I am looking forward to that. That is, you know, my kids like reggae. I think reggae is easy for children to get down with because it's got that sort of, you know, very easily head naughty beat. So this will be one of the ones I don't have to listen to with headphones all week. I can I can enter the Yeehaw. world and have conversations with my wife and whatnot. Uh, so until next week, listen to Natty Dread. Uh, you know, lively up yourself a little bit with some reggae. And uh, I have been Tom. I'm Adam. And I'm Rob. Boosh. Boosh.